friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. So now we're ready to go back to our series on the book of Philippians. I'd like to request everybody to please rise from their seats at this time as we read just one verse this morning, Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let's just come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful morning that you have given to us. And we thank you, Lord, that in spite of the difficulties presented to us because of the fiesta, we are still able to come, gather together, and worship your holy name. And we rejoice in your goodness, O God, And we thank you for the opportunity to fix our eyes on you. And Lord, we seek, Lord, your manifold grace to be upon our hearts and upon our minds. And I, as your preacher, Lord, would request you, Lord, to just anoint my mind and my heart and my lips so that I might be able to speak in truth with clarity and passion as well. I pray, O God, that You will accomplish all of your good purposes, and may you glorify your most holy name, O God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Joy and Peace Through Right Thinking. Just to give a little review, because for two Sundays we have addressed certain sermons, or we have focused on other things because of the Christmas season as well as the new year. So now we are ready to go back to our series on the book of Philippians. So allow me to do a little review of the previous sermon that we talked about in Philippians chapter 4. If you recall, in that previous sermon, we said that the result of the righteous act of prayer is that we will have joy and peace guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. However, we do not simply want to receive peace and joy merely as something that is an event in our lives. We want it to be a lifestyle. We want to be able to maintain a life of peace and a life of joy. And obviously, that's something that we have to work for. That's something that we have to fight for because many times our peace and our joy might be stolen from us. And so the question is, how do we maintain this peace and joy that God has given to us? And this morning, I would like to share to you that to be able to maintain our peace as well as our joy, 
We need to dwell on godly thoughts. We need to dwell on godly thoughts. And basically what this teaches us is that joy and peace involves both our hearts and our minds. It involves our hearts and our minds. Let me show to you a verse of Scripture that will teach us this matter. It says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, there you go, is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. So you will notice here the relation of peace and what we fix our minds on. In this particular case, in the book of Isaiah, we are told that we are to fix our eyes, our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ or on God. And that is why our thought life is very important. And I don't think we can overstate the fact that if you and I are going to be victorious in our lives, we need to be able to have a disciplined mind. And of course, you and I know that it is quite a struggle to discipline our minds. Sometimes our minds really go astray. Even when we are in a gathering like this, when you and I are supposed to dwell on thoughts about the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we cannot help it, but we are thinking about other things. Probably there were certain things that we left behind in the house that we are concerned about, and so we're thinking about that. For some of you who are hungry at this time, you're probably thinking about what you will have for lunch after this service. So there are actually many things that are running through our minds. But again, if you and I are going to have a victorious life, we have got to discipline our minds. We have got to put the reins on our minds. And basically, that is what this passage that we will be discussing will teach us. And what I would like to lay aside as a principle is wrong thinking leads into wrong feeling. Let me say that again. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. Could you say that with me? Number one, two, three, please. And when we, we allow ourselves to dwell on wrong thinking, what begins to happen is we will begin to worry about certain things, or the other possibility is we might be weighed down by guilt in our hearts and in our minds. So what we would like to espouse really this morning is right thinking, because right thinking will produce right feeling. Could you say that with me? At the count of three, one, two, please. So the lesson that we need to learn this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, which says that we need to take every thought, every thought, we need to take every thought captive in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have so many disobedient thoughts running through our minds. And, you know, one of the things that 
probably I'd like to share to you by way of illustration is how would you feel if your thoughts were flashed on the LED screen this morning? How would you like that? If everything you're thinking just flashes on the screen, I believe some of those things that we're thinking about, we would be embarrassed. Some of us will be humiliated if those thoughts come out on the screen. And that's why I'm just using that illustration just to tell you that sometimes we really have an undisciplined thought life. And hopefully, this morning, we will learn how to discipline our minds. Now, in this lesson, we will talk about six objects that our minds have to dwell on. Again, we're going to talk about six objects that our minds have to dwell on. And then later on, Paul gives us a twofold description of these six objects that our minds need to dwell on. So, basically, that is how the sermon will be flowing this morning. So, let's begin with the first part, the six objects our minds have to dwell on. If I were to give a subtitle to this particular subject matter that we're going to discuss, I'd probably call it a paragraph on spiritual mental health. That's probably how I will talk about it. And again, as I mentioned, we're given six items which are mentioned as objects of a wholesome thought life. And each one, by the way, is introduced by the word whatever. Now, the word whatever here, interestingly, is in the plural. And basically what that tells you is that we are dealing with broad meanings with each word that is presented to us. So we're not just talking about singular meanings here. It is actually very broad. The category involves broad meanings. So have that in your mind. We're being given general principles in this particular section. So let's begin with the first one. The first thing that we need to let our minds dwell on. First of all, we need to dwell on whatever is true. Now, one definition is by way of looking at what is opposite of what is true. And what is opposite of that is what is dishonest and what is unreliable. Now, we know that these things belong to the sinful nature of our hearts. And we know for a fact that the truth that God gives to us sets us free. The truth of God is very beneficial to all of us. It is comforting. It is inspiring. It is encouraging. It is edifying. And that is the reason why we need to dwell on the truth, most especially of God's Word. And I recall the many times I've gone through adversity, trials, temptations, and whenever I would meditate on the Word of God, whenever I would meditate on the truth of God's Word, it would strengthen my faith. It would build me up. It would inspire me. It would encourage me. It would comfort me. That is what truth does. 
truth is indeed very beneficial to us. And that's the reason why Satan is opposed to the truth. One of the titles of Satan is he is the father of lies. We find that in John chapter 8, verse 44. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says that Satan would like to corrupt our minds with his lies. That's what he would like to do. He would like to present lies into our minds because when he does that, he becomes victorious over us. And that is why we are doing ourselves a great disservice when we allow our minds to dwell on the lies of Satan. Again, they are totally unreliable. You cannot expect Satan to speak the truth. He will always speak lies. In fact, one of his strategies is to always question the Word of God. If you recall uh, the book of Genesis, what does it say in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1? When he was talking to Eve, it says in the King James Version, Yea, hath God said. So what Satan was trying to do at that time was to inject doubts in the mind of Eve. That's why Eve sinned. That's why Adam sinned. That's why you and I are in this mess. That's the reason why this whole world is in chaos. All because of Eve and Adam believing the lies of Satan. And that is why if we fall into the same pit, if we fall into the same trap, we will actually destroy our lives. We will mess up our lives. And that is why, once again, we are not to dwell on lies, but rather we are to dwell on whatever is true. Now, Dr. Walbert, I'm sorry, Walter Cavert, rather, reported a survey on worry that indicated that only 8% of the things that people worried about were actually legitimate matters of concern. Only 8% are legitimate matters of concern. The other 92%, listen well, is actually imaginary. <laughs> they never happened or involved matters over which people had no control anyway. And yet we waste our mental energies on that 92%. We waste our mental energies on 92%, which are basically lies, which are basically not true. And so it destroys the quality of our lives. And we begin to worry. We are anxious about so many things. And we actually allow our, our lives to, to sar as a result of dwelling on these things. Again, friends, if you and I would like to maintain a life of peace and joy, what we need to dwell on are thoughts that are true. Again, do not dwell on the lies of Satan. Now, here's a second object that we need to dwell on. Our minds need to dwell on. It says, whatever is honorable. In some translations, it is rendered as honest or noble. 
Now, this refers to what is dignified and worthy of respect. It has been used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, and also in Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Now, there are many things that are not respectable. And so those are things that we are not to dwell on. The Christian should not think about those things. Let me put on board or on our screen some of the things that we are not to think of. We are not to think of things that involve bribery, theft, cheating, and many other things. And sometimes we cannot help it that we tend to compromise. A while ago, the Lord gave us a word of prophecy that we are not to lean on our own understanding, but to put our trust in the Lord. Many times, the reason why our minds dwell on ungodly thoughts is because of our lack of faith in God. Sometimes we do not trust that God will deliver on His promises. And that's the reason why we begin to think about making shortcuts in our lives. And so those are some of the things that are actually shortcuts. Theft, bribery, cheating, and many other things. We would like to take the shortcut. But here's where you and I need to exercise our faith. And that's why the Bible encourages us to wait upon the Lord. And sometimes our problem is our impatience. We can't wait on God's promises. We can't wait on God's deliverances. And so we would rather deliver ourselves. Take a look at what happened in the case of Abraham and Sarah. Well, God actually promised that he would have a descendant and that this descendant would inherit the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. And for some time, they were waiting for Sarah to become pregnant. And so the years went by, and they were aging already. Their bodies were aging. And they were wondering, is God really going to fulfill His promise? And eventually, they came to a point wherein they began to doubt the promise of God. And so what did they do? Well, Sarah gave her maid to uh, Abraham. The maid's name is Agar, and the result of that was Ishmael. And you and I know that later on, the Ishmaelites became trouble for the nation of Israel. Well, that's what happens when you and I make shortcuts in our lives. But it all begins here. The sh those shortcuts begin here in our minds. And, and what the Bible is saying, don't even think about it. Don't even think about making shortcuts in your life. They're not good for you. And by the way, when you begin to dwell on those things, you will lose your peace and you will lose your joy. The quality of your life will greatly deteriorate. So, we go to the third object that we need to dwell on. Things that are right or just. In some translations, this actually refers to conformity to God's holy standards. Say this with me, God's holy standards. Now, let me tell you, there's only one standard for us, and that's the Word of God. But oftentimes, 
we measure things based on our own human standards. We make uh, decisions on morality and ethics on the basis of our own thinking, our own rational thinking. And friends, let me just remind you, we only have one standard, and that is God's standards. Now, some of us might think, but the standards of God are too lofty. They are so high. It's, it's difficult to reach them. Again, friends, you and I are the clay. God is the potter. We do not question the standards of God. We do not question the morality of God. We do not question the holiness of God. We do not question the spirituality of God. And that is why if you and I would like to have a life of joy and peace, our minds have to be focused on things that are right or just. We're not supposed to think of short-changing God in the areas of sacrifice, worship, and devotion. And sometimes that's what happens. Lord, you will understand. I'm in a difficult situation, so I can't do what you are requiring of me. And sometimes we think that God will condescend to our level. He would understand our compromises. But then again, God is not like us. Once He has set a standard, it is for everybody to follow those standards. So we are not to entertain thoughts of complaining. We are not to entertain thoughts of rebellion against God. We are not to think too much on money and be consumed by materialism. All of these things will make us lose our joy and our peace. And that is why, again, this requires discipline, a disciplined mind, because our minds go astray. And this is what Satan continually attacks. Now we go to the fourth item, whatever is pure. Now the Greek word here refers to what is wholesome, and not mixed with elements that would debase the soul. Now, this word probably refers to moral purity. Say moral purity. Since then, and even now, people were constantly attacked by temptations to sexual immorality. We find exhortations, admonitions found in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, Ephesians 5, 8 to 12. And Paul here admonishes the Christians to live a life of, of sexual purity. And the reason why Paul was admonishing them was because there were temptations in that particular culture. In fact, in many uh, situations, in the culture of that time, engaging sex, engaging in sex with a temple prostitute was actually considered a spiritual thing. So you can just imagine people who converted to Christianity, it was difficult to reconcile these things in their minds. But Paul had to remind them that they were now new in Christ and that they had to renew their minds. And that is why, again, these are things that we need to be careful of. We need to have pure thoughts. 
We are therefore not to dwell on lustful thoughts such as adultery, fornication, and premarital sex. And I know that this is a struggle for this generation because of the internet. It is so easy right now to just take a look at pornography and sometimes inadvertently because there are advertisements, there are commercials, and sometimes somebody gives you an email and sometimes you click on it and all of a sudden you don't know it's pornography. And so sometimes it has become very easy for this uh, generation to actually access internet pornography. But you see, if you and I are going to have peace and joy in our lives, those are the things we should be avoiding. In fact, if inadvertently we are able to see some of those things that are prohibited to us, we are told in the Scriptures to let our minds dwell on whatever is pure. So if there are lustful thoughts, we are not to allow our thoughts to linger long on them. We are to take every thought captive in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we will mess up our lives. Let me share to you the story of a Christian who, writing anonymously in Leadership Magazine, made a confession. And what he confessed to was that he had a 10-year bondage to the sin of lust, which included a regular diet of pornography. During this time, interestingly, he was a minister of God. He was conducting Christian conferences and seminars across the United States of America. The agony of his inner conflict, however, finally became unbearable. And you know why it becomes unbearable? Because the book of Isaiah says, there is no peace for the wicked. If you are a born-again Christian, and you are allowing your mind to rest on lustful thoughts, you will lose your peace and your joy because the conviction of the Holy Spirit will weigh heavily on your heart and the Holy Spirit will not let go until you confess and you repent of your lust. God is not going to let go. And that is why you can come to a worship gathering like this and people are singing and they are enjoying the presence of God, but it is not affecting you at all. I mean, you are so out of the situation. And the reason is because you are in sin. The reason is because your mind is focused on lustful things. And when that happens, you cannot have peace. You cannot have joy. And this is exactly what happened to this minister of God. And, and to, just to continue with his story, it says, to his horror, he realized one day that such pleasures as a breathtaking sunset or the soft spray of an ocean breeze no longer excited him. His obsession with lust had dulled his appreciation of life's finest enjoyments and prevented the joy of fellowshipping and communing with Jesus Christ. 
Outwardly, by the way, he had been faithful to his wife. He had not committed adultery, but in his mind, he was engaging in adultery. When he turned anew to God, he realized that a necessary step in the breaking of his lustful pattern was a long talk with his mate. In short, he confessed to his sin of lust and to his diet of pornography. The whole experience was painful and awkward, but the repentance was genuine. She forgave him, and new love soon returned to their marriage, and he regained his joy and his peace as well. And friends, that's how it is. If you want joy and peace, you've got to pay the price. And the price is you need to discipline your thought life. And I know it's difficult because from Monday to Saturday, you and I are exposed to the world. I recall one sister who was sharing to my wife that her boss was telling her to watch pornography. And so we find, you find yourself in situations like that wherein you are being asked to make compromises. And friends, if you are not going to be careful with what you allow your minds to dwell on, you will lose your peace and your joy. And let me tell you, you cannot just discipline your minds on Sunday because sometimes that's what happens to us. We begin to dwell on godly thoughts when it's Sunday, when it's time for us to worship. So it seems like we do our weekly confession whenever Sunday comes. But you know what? Confession is a daily thing. We need to be confessing our sins to God on a daily basis. We need to be living the Christian life every day of our lives, not just on weekends, not just on Sunday. Sunday is not enough for us to, to discipline our spiritual minds. We have to discipline our minds every day. That's how we live a life of peace and joy. Now, some of us, and I was sharing last weekend, that for some people, their solution is isolation. That's what the monks did. They went to the mountains. They isolated themselves. But you know what the monks discovered when they went up to the mountains? Lust accompanied them. Covetousness accompanied them. Even when you isolate yourself in the mountains, you will find that you cannot isolate yourself from your own sinful nature. And that's the reason why what needs to happen is we need to fight. We need to fight spiritually. We cannot be like ostriches. How many of you know what ostriches are? You know what they do, right? They put their heads deep down into the ground. Now, you and I can't do that. We can't be like ostriches hiding ourselves under the ground because whatever, you know, whatever we do, the truth of the matter is we are confronted, we are challenged on all fronts and on all corners. Our morality, our spirituality, our values, our standards are constantly being challenged by the world. So sometimes we cannot help what we see. I mean, sometimes you're changing channels, 
And as you change channels, all of a sudden, there's this raunchy advertisement that comes out. Now, you and I cannot avoid it. Sometimes we see certain things that we do not like to look at. But what we need to do is this. What we need to do is not focus on these things. We cannot avoid sometimes not looking at these things. But what is important is the focus. A while, a while ago, I liked the song that we were singing, Fix Our Eyes on God. Fix Our Eyes on the Lord. And that's what we need to do. When we are challenged, when we are confronted, when we are tempted, seduced by this world, we need to fix our eyes on the Lord. We need to fix our eyes on that which is pure. Again, our work is not isolation. And our work, of course, is definitely not absorption. We are to be the light of the world. The key here is not so much not to see, because we will see that cannot be avoided, but not to focus. All right? Number five, here's the fifth item. It says lovely. The Greek word here means beautiful and attractive. We find it occurring only here, by the way, in the New Testament. And it speaks of what promotes peace and inspires love rather than conflict. In other words, we are not to have bitter thoughts of revenge, retaliation, violence, verbal abuse, and so on. And some of us might think, well, well, I don't really do it. I just hate the person in my mind. Well, do you know what Jesus Christ said about hatred? If you hate your brother, you have already what? You have already committed what? Murder. That's, that's what it is. And that's why God doesn't want us thinking about those thoughts. And I know some of us have suffered probably unfair treatment. Some of us have probably suffered injustice in our lives. And in our minds, in our hearts, we want to retaliate. We want revenge. And my take on this is leave room for the wrath of God. The Bible is very clear. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The problem is when you let your mind dwell... On, on bitterness and retaliation and revenge, you will lose your peace and you will lose your joy. Every time you see this person, every time you hear something about this person, you will just lose your peace and joy. The quality of your life will actually deteriorate. So what happens is you are adding insult to injury. You're actually continually enduring yourself. This is no longer the work of the oppression of that other person. You are now doing this to yourself. You are making yourself suffer when you allow thoughts like this to take place. And my point is, why should you suffer in this manner? God doesn't want that. God doesn't want you to, to have self-inflicting punishment on yourself. But sometimes that's what happens when we continually hate people, 
when we're continually bitter and when you and I can't let go. I like, I like the story of an 82-year-old man who suffered much discomfort because he went through an operation because he had cancer, but he always seemed to smile and enjoy life. In his youth, this was what he decided on. He decided that he would never harbor feelings of bitterness or resentment. No matter what hardships he endured or what unfair treatment he received from people, he kept his heart open to the Lord and even sought to love even his enemies. Now, this is what he says. I am convinced that when we cheerfully accept our lot and forgive others as God has forgiven us, we are benefited physically. It was obvious from looking at him that he was relaxed and he was contented and he had a genuine sense of well-being. You know, what a wonderful thing it is when you wake up in the morning and you feel this, you, you have this feeling of being so light. You have this feeling of being so relaxed. You have this feeling of, of peace and contentment and stillness. What a wonderful gift that is. And it's a gift that you and I, as believers in Christ, are supposed to enjoy. Think about what that does for you all throughout the day. When you have a glowing countenance, when deep down inside of you, there is this inner stillness. When you go out, I mean, it's just going to be so infectious. And by the way, again, that is what attracts people to the Lord. That is what convinces them of the authenticity of what you are sharing to them. And unless they see that in your life, they will not believe what you say. So again, friends, we're talking about things that are really beneficial to us. We go to the sixth item. It says, of good repute or admirable. Now, this word relates to what is positive and constructive rather than negative and destructive. We are not to think ill of others or think maliciously or hope for other people's destruction. Sometimes, isn't it true when we get hurt? We want bad things to happen to some people. And when bad things happen to some people, we gloat over them. Do you know the Bible says in the book of Proverbs but that we are not supposed to gloat over the misfortunes of our enemies? We are not to gloat at all. We are to think well of them. In fact, here's what the Bible says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. That's what the Bible says. We react, we respond in a different way. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he was mocked, when he was spat upon, 
when he was nailed to the cross, when the crown of thorns were placed upon him, when they stripped him naked, when they humiliated him, when they insulted him, how did Jesus respond? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Instead of cursing them, and he could have done that, as the Son of God, he could have struck them with lightning. He could have killed them on the spot. He could have sent all of his angels to come and fight against all these people. And thousands would have died at one moment. He could have done that. But instead, he responded in a godly, loving way. And you know what? That was not just a show of spirituality. When, when he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, that was not just a mere show of spirituality. No, he was really sincere when he prayed that. And the result of that was the conversion of the centurion. That prayer was effective. That prayer was powerful because he did not curse these people. He blessed them. He blessed them. And that's how you and I respond. So if you right now are wondering, why is it I don't have peace and I don't have joy? Well, maybe it will help. Again, let me just, again, use this illustration. Right now, right now, if what you are thinking is going to be flashed on the screen, would you be proud of those thoughts? Would you be with what if you're thinking right now about this sermon and you're thinking, boring? Then it pops out on the screen. Would you be proud of those thoughts? Would you be happy about those thoughts? Perhaps not. And that's my point here. Sometimes we're so good at hiding things. But you know what? You cannot hide anything from God. That's why at the end of the day, when you and I are judged by God, not in the matter of salvation, because we're saved. If you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, we're saved. We're secure eternally. But you see, the judgment that we face is called the Bema judgment seat. And that's not a judgment seat wherein we lose our salvation. That's a judgment seat wherein you and I lose our rewards. And how do we lose our rewards? Well, the Bible says He will judge every thought and every intention and every motive of our hearts. So it's not just what we do that God is going to judge. It is not just our actions and our conduct that God would judge. Even what is here in our minds, even what is here in our hearts will be judged by God. And that is why we need to be very careful. We need to really take good care of our minds and our hearts. Because if we don't do that, again, we will lose our peace and our joy. So Paul ends this particular passage by saying that these six objects are described in two ways. First of all, Paul says that these things are excellent. Say excellent, please. I'm only hearing the women. Say excellent. Then Paul also says they are praiseworthy. Say praiseworthy. Now in other translations, 
It is translated this way. Whatever possesses virtue and praise. Now, these thought patterns are considered excellent by Paul or have virtue because it will motivate us to do better. Definitely, when you are thinking good thoughts, there's going to be an output. Input produces output. So if you want to do good, if you want to do better, if you want to have a better quality of life, where does it all begin? It all begins here. When you and I have these godly thoughts, they are excellent. They will serve us well in our lives. And not only that, the Bible says they are praiseworthy. Why? Because it is worth commending to others. These are the thoughts that we would like others to have as well. Friends, let me tell you this. No Christian can afford to waste mind power on thoughts that tear him down or tear other people down. It's a waste of energy. And sometimes that's what happens. We waste our mind energy on the wrong things. Use your mind on the right things. Let it dwell on the good things. And you know what? If you want to develop this healthy mindset, here's what David says in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9. And you know the interesting part about this? Is when you compare what David wrote, it is very much the same, similar to what Paul was writing. And here's where you see that Paul was actually very grounded in Old Testament scriptures. And many of the things that he shares reflects what is written already in the Old Testament. Now, take a look at the parallel between what Paul wrote and what David wrote in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So you take a look at these words, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true. You find a similarity with what Paul was writing. And so what do you think was David trying to say? And what do you think Paul is also trying to say as he connects this with the book of Psalms? What he is saying is, if you want to have a mind that dwells on godly thoughts, what you need to do is meditate on the Scriptures. Study the laws of God. Meditate on the Bible. That is an investment that will totally, radically change your life. And yet, people would rather invest time on other things. Sometimes we, we invest too much time on Facebook. And I've got to tell you, you've got to face the book, which is the Bible. Amen? 
We have got to invest time. And, and look at the benefits. Look at this. What does it do when you meditate on the Word of God? Restoring the soul. Making wise the simple. Rejoicing the heart. How many here would like to rejoice in their hearts? Amen. Enlightening the eyes. All of these things would come into our lives the moment we benefit, the moment you and I read on the Word of God, the moment we study it. That is what's going to happen because we fill our minds with the Word of God and so we, we make a habit of thinking on godly thoughts. The Christian who fills his heart and mind with God's Word will have a built-in radar for detecting wrong thoughts. And I like what Psalm 119, 165 says. Great peace have they which love thy law. Great peace. Now, how many of you want great peace? All right. We don't want just peace. We want great peace. Now, how do you achieve great peace in your life? Love the law. Study the law. Meditate on the Word of God. That is what would provide peace and joy in your life. So the question we need to be asking ourselves this morning is, do you have problems with your thought life? Are you nurturing impure thoughts? Are you daydreaming, fantasizing about the wrong things? Examine what you are putting into your mind through television, books, conversations, movies, and magazines. Replace harmful input with wholesome material. Now, why do you think we need to do that? Because our minds are much like sponges. Do you know that sponges are animals that live in the sea? And divers must descend to the ocean floor to gather them. After they are brought to the surface, they must be cleaned in order to be useful for household purposes. Once all the living matter is removed, the skeleton of the sponge with its open-celled structure has an amazing capacity to soak up liquids. And our minds are just like that. Most especially children's minds are a lot like sponges. Quietly, the children take in everything around them. They are what they are, not only because of inherited family traits. They are what they are because of the influence of their environment as well. And for this reason, we parents must make sure that we provide an environment to our children wherein their mental health is being taken good care of. Sometimes we allow the iPads or the iPhones to babysit our children because we don't have the time. I know of a five-year-old boy who became addicted to internet pornography, five years old, because the one that was babysitting him was the iPhone. 
And that's why, friends, we are really in a world and in a generation that attacks everything that we believe is right. And friends, it's not just children, by the way. We too have minds that are like sponges. And that's why we have to be, be very careful about what we allow to enter into our minds. Right thinking must be the product of reading the Bible. Without the Bible, let me tell you this. Without the Bible, you cannot think correctly. Could you say that with me? Say to your neighbor, without the Bible, you cannot think correctly. We need the Word of God to align our minds with God's will. Let me add one more principle. Right thinking also produces right living. Which tells us, by the way, that we, if we are not living correctly, listen well, if we are not living correctly, it's because we are not thinking correctly. A lot of what we do has to do with what is contained here. That's why we've got to be very careful. Now, there's a quotation which I think is probably overused, but I think its benefits still continue on, and I'd like to quote it to you. It goes something like this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So here's the thing. You want a life of peace and a life of joy? Who doesn't want that? Everybody will run after that. But you see, it's something that we do. It doesn't just happen. A life of peace and joy happens because we fix our eyes and our minds on the right things. Amen? So, here's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is beginning today, you will resolve to discipline what is in your mind. And what you allow to enter into your mind and linger on will be your destiny. That is who you will be. As the book of Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. Let me say it again. As a man thinks, so is he. You would like, if you would like to define who you are, just read your thoughts. That's who you are. If you are a man and a woman that dwells on godly thoughts, you are a godly man and a godly woman. But if you allow your mind to dwell on thoughts that are impure, you are an impure person. If you allow your mind to dwell on angry thoughts, you're an angry man and an angry woman. As you think, so you are. And that is why, friends, 
we thank God for the Word of God because we now have the opportunity to put a rein to our minds so that we begin to live a life that is worthy and pleasing to God, a life of peace and joy. So that when you wake up in the morning, you wake up in the morning with lightness, with a feeling of contentment, peace, and joy. And how does that happen? A lifestyle of godly thinking. Amen? Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes at this time. Our Father, we, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this morning. And sometimes we're not aware that our destiny is actually being charted by what we think about most of the time. As the book of Proverbs says, we are defined by what we constantly think about. And Lord, if we have allowed impure thoughts, ungodly thoughts, immoral thoughts, angry thoughts, bitter thoughts, prideful thoughts to dwell in our minds, allow us to repent of that right now. And we ask for your grace, O God, that our minds would be renewed by the Scriptures. Give us the heart and the resolve to study, read, meditate on the Scriptures every day of our lives. May we allow our hearts to be guarded by the Word of God so that we live a life of peace and a life of joy. May it not be that we only worship you on Sunday. May we worship you with our thought lives every day of our lives. We ask, O oh God, that your grace be abundant upon us, and as we confess those ungodly thoughts right now, we pray you cleanse our minds. Wash it with the water of God's Word. And allow us now to fix our eyes on you and on the Word. And Father, we trust that this will greatly improve our quality of life. We thank you, dear Lord, because this is what you desire for us. We thank you as well for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And Father, would you be so kind to bless us and prosper us, not because we're selfish and greedy, but because we want to continue serving, loving, extending your kingdom, exalting your name. And Lord, again, you deserve all praises and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please.